And welcome to Rayma Hovum. This is Rabbi Yitz Greenfield, MS, Marriage and Family Therapy. I'm so happy you're joining me today on DreyRootRadio.com. For those of you who are new listeners, here's what we do. What we try to do here is to learn and develop new skills and tools to renew and strengthen the connection you have with your spouse. We do this not only from a social science perspective, but what we're going to do is we're going to use the Torah as our guide and source and navigation. I want to tell you today, this is like a... I always do this intro. Those who listen to my show, you always know this is, this is Robert Greenfield's intro. But I, I want to take the intro today and I want to segue directly into today's topic. Today's topic is going to be a combination of last week's topic and a new topic, hopefully, which as Hashem will be able to get to. By the way, this is a live show. On Thursday, June 4th, 2015. So if anybody has any text questions, comments, you can text me 347-927-8398. That's 347-927-8398. And like I always say, I might not have time to answer all your texts. If I can't do it here in the show, I will do it. Be'ezrat Hashem. Off the show, after the show. Okay, I, I, I always start with this intro, and I always end up saying, we use the Torah as our guide and source of navigation, and I'm, I want to jump right into this. Last week, Baruch Hashem, we had a show, I did a show on finances. Baruch Hashem, I can tell you from all my shows, this is one of the shows I got a lot, a lot of positive feedback, which is Baruch Hashem is happy. And then there was, I was walking, actually I was in someone's house, and you know this guy comes over and he's like, oh, Greenfield, is that? You mentioned something on the show last week, and I just didn't understand what you meant by that. I, I, I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to talk about it in a second. First, like this. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm going to say something that I said in last week's show, and I have to say it again. We are Torah-observant Jews. Our hashkafa, our hadracha, our mahalach, everything has to be based on the Torah. Not to social sciences, not not the secular world, not what we're seeing outside, not on the marriages that we're seeing being built even necessarily in our communities, Baruch Hashem, our marriages are all Baruch Hashem doing wonderfully. However, we have to base ourselves on the Torah. And when we talk about finances, you know, there was, there was a manahal in, I think it was uh, Gershon Weiss. He was giving a schmooze to a bunch of boys, uh, married, younger light, guys who just got married, you know, talking about finances and this and that. And there were some men who were talking about, you know, it's very hard, my wife should go out and work. So he stops him. He says to him, let me, let me, he says to him, can you stop a second? When was the last time you looked at your ketuvah? When was the last time you looked at your ketuvah? Whose responsibility is it? Now, I spoke last week about the fact that at the end of the day, yes, the Torah's dictate is that what? Is that the man is mechoyev, is obligated to provide for his family, for, his, for the mezonot, for the family, for the children, for the shelter, for the food, for the water, and that's all true. Now, we also have to be realistic about the challenges that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving us today. Life in America is very expensive, extremely expensive. Mortgage, rent, car payments, tuition, camp, Shabbos, marrying off kids. Anybody who lives in Brooklyn, just the rent. How much are you paying rent? It's, it's ridiculous. The mortgage is out of control. So we could just you know, sit there and say, okay, the man's responsible. And technically, it's within the right. But a lot of women are saying, you know what? I, I can't. I can't. My husband's choking. I, I need to help. My kids, I can't. We can't pay tuitions. My kids can't go to the camp. I want to help the family. So we spoke about that. And there are many, many houses today that are dual income. doesn't always have to be like that. Some of you are listening. Baruch Hashem, you're home now. You're preparing for Shabbat. 
and your husband's going out to work. That's okay. That's okay. That's, you know, I mean, theoretically, in the olden days, that's what it always was. Not all the time, but yes, the man with the work and the woman taking care of the children. The Rama speaks about the hilchas of the man, the hilchas of the woman. But what's most important to know is that if the wives, and I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address this guy's question in a second. If the wives are out working, the men have to have a financial setup that's not going to lead to machloket in the house. What am I talking about? I'm talking about men, and I'm speaking to myself as well. We have to always remain cognizant of the fact that the Torah's expectation is that we should provide. That's the Torah's expectation. That's whether your wife is working or she's not working. Whether you're in kolel or whether you're not in kolel. Now, of course, there was an arrangement before that you're in kolel and your wife is working. Okay, that's what she accepted upon herself. But at the end of the day, us as husbands have to know there's a chiv ksuva. So if our wives are going out to work, what's so, so, so important is number one to appreciate. Just appreciate. Just we have to realize, you don't have to do this for me. And you know, the fact that you're going out and you're doing this, I really appreciate it. And it's not going to become an entitlement. I'm not going to feel like succumbed me, as they say. That it, what do you mean? I'm, supposed, I'm the man. I'm supposed to come. I'm not going to feel like that. That's number one. Number two, the financial setup has to be in a way where the woman feels that she's not just not working and working and working and sort of like filling the man's shoes, but not really getting anything for herself. And the way women are today, and the women who are listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. The way women are today is that sometimes they give, they give, and give some more, and don't stop giving, and they don't end up taking for themselves. Why? Because they feel this, this need to nurture, the natural feministic need, feminine, actually feminine, need to nurture her family, to give for her children, and that, those of you who have children, and that need is like a burning need, and then after a while, she just feels like, all I do is give, I don't get anything. That's why I say, it's such an important to have a financial setup. If the woman is working to what? Is that the woman, that the man, that the setup should be something like this. It doesn't have to be this, like this. If you have a setup that's else, some other setup, and it's working for you, great. But the setup that I see works with all the couples that I've worked with over many, many years that I've been doing this, the what? The setup is very simple. The setup is that if the woman's working, part of the money, no question about it, goes to the family pot. Part of the money goes to directly for expenses for children, tuition, camp, etc. It makes it easier for the woman. She knows, okay, my money is going for my children for camp. Okay, it makes it easier for her. That makes it easy for her. Many women doesn't, maybe you're listening to this and you know, I don't care about that. That's okay. I'm just telling you what standard, what I see works. And finally, I feel a very, very important that a woman should have some of the funds that she can keep for herself. Yes, and I'm saying this openly. Some of the funds she should keep for herself. And I'll tell you what I told you last week. Don't pull the Mycia dying bit. I spoke to several Paiskim about this. It's not so push it. It's not so push it. Maybe technically, yeah, you're right. But it's not what marriage is. Is that what you want to take your wife to a dentist? Like, seriously. Marriage is about giving, giving, and giving some more. That's what marriage is all about. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the point is, this guy comes over to me. I love this guy, by the way. I'm not going to mention his name. He's really he's a good guy, a good friend. I know him. Not married yet, but in any case, really great guy. He comes over to me and he says to me, Rabbi Grateful, I want to ask you a question. I, I didn't understand your last show. I'm like, okay. He's like, it was a great show, but I, I didn't understand. You said that if a husband goes over to his wife to borrow money, it doesn't make sense. 
husband going to wife borrow money. As far as I understood, the way it is, it's one big pot and that's it. There's one big pot of money that, you know, the man's in charge of the finances. There's only way it works and, and there's one big pot and that's it. Guess what? Here's what I have to say to him. And I said to him, I'm saying this to everybody because some of you might have this question. There's no question about it. That would be wonderful. Baruch Hashem, if you have enough of a parnasa. And there's, 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 there's so much money. If a husband could have so much money, the wife has money, and there's one big pot and everything, and everybody lives happily ever after. Let's be real. doesn't always work like that. And those of you who are listening know exactly what I'm talking about. Because think about all those arguments you have with your husband or you have with your wife about finances. If it was just so simple that you have one big pot and everybody just takes from that, that'd be great. But the reality is it is that sometimes women have to go out and work. And if a woman goes out to work, she's going to want to feel that she's getting something here for herself. If she wanted to buy this new shaitel for a very, very long time, and well, this guy was saying, oh, what do you mean simple? You just, I'll tell you what you do, he said to me. You, just, you have one big pot, and then you say to your wife, okay, here's, you want a new shaitel? No problem. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take out every month, we're going to take out $100, all right, for the money that you, that you make, and we're going to put it into the shaitel pot, and then when we're going to have enough money, then we will spend it on your shaitel. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound great, right, playing the violins? It's not realistic. It's not realistic. Maybe with some of you, it might work out that way. I'm telling you, working with couples, in today's society, we're squeezed. It's not realistic. What's going to happen is there's going to be that shaitel pot, right, where you're putting that money in for the shaitel, and then the husband is going to have some sort of need for money. Either it's going to be an emergency need, something like the electricity is going to be cut off tomorrow, or the gas is going to be cut off, or if we don't pay the health insurance, we're not going to be insured, or he's going to have some other need that he feels is very important. Maybe he's going to come over to you and say to you, you know what? I want to lease a new car. I need $1,000 down. Or I want to buy a new computer. I want to buy a new phone. He's going to come over to his wife and he's going to say to his wife, listen, I know that we were collecting money for the shaitl of yours, but here's the story. I really need money for the electricity. Or I really need money for the gas. Or I really need money for a new car that, you know, our car is old. I've, I've done so much research. I've got the perfect car. I need $1,000 down. So if it's okay, I'm going to take that money from the shaitl pot. Now she's going to look at him and she's going to say, um, I, I understand what you're saying here, but I don't, I, I really rather not that money go for the car. I, I've been saving for my shaitl for who knows how long. So if it's a situation with electricity or gas, he'll say to her, what do you mean? Uh, the electricity will be cut off. And she'll be standing there like, what is she supposed to do? Like, really, what is she supposed to do? She's stuck, right? Or it'll be a situation where he wants to buy at least this new car and he's $1,000 down. He'll say, what do you mean? We need, we need a new car. And a whole machlokas could ensue. The problem is, is that we're all selfish. I said it. We're all selfish. That's why HaKadosh Baruch created it. That's called the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah causes us to be selfish, and we're not always going to be successful to leave our own premises and do what's right for the other person, especially when there are financial pressures. Why set yourself up for failure? How many couples that I've worked with, a woman is crying to me and saying to me, I've been working so long, my husband's been promising me a new shaitl. He's been promising me that, you know, that we're going to go on vacation. He's been promising me that new outfit, and it just never happens because we always have all these bills. So on one hand, the husband will say, yeah, we have bills, so what do you want? On the other hand, I can say to him, it doesn't make a difference. What's more important of a need for you? 
the what? The new car, the computer, the phone. Oh, so it's electricity. Electricity. But if every month you're going to take money from this pot for electricity, she's going to be left with nothing. So I'll say to them what I always say. So you have a choice. Either do it for Hashem, do it for your spouse, or do it for yourself. Do it for Hashem because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to give. Do it for your spouse because she has a need. Your wife has a need. She cannot feel like she's a shmata. She cannot feel that like she's walking around the same old shaitel for who knows how many years. She cannot feel that she's walking around every yomtif, every chag with the same dress. She cannot feel that she, everybody goes on vacation except for her. That's a need. That's not a luxury. That's a need. Well, she's not really a need. I'm getting to this whole argument. Or I could say to them, do it for yourself. She'll be happier. You'll be happier. So if it means that one month you're going to have to borrow the money for electricity from somebody else, or if it means that one month that you're going to have to borrow the money that you want for the lease, maybe you're going to have to go over to your mother or your father or your aunt. And I know that it's uncomfortable, but you'll be forced to do that. And then we know that your wife will have her needs. And you know what's going to happen? She's not going to feel resentful that resentment is going to go away because she feels that she's the one who's working also, or she might be the primary breadwinner in the family, that happens many times also, and her own stuff she's not getting. But she's not going to verbalize it because she feels bad. She feels bad. Let me say he's right. The family needs. That's why I say in certain situations where your wife is working, what I've seen from my experience is the best setup is that a part of the money does she keep she keeps for her own expenses, for her own things that she wants, whatever she wants. And you know what, gentlemen? By the way, most of the time, that money, and I see working with couples, it goes for the kids. I'm telling you, most of the time it goes for the kids. So it's your children, you're gonna get it anyways. But if you have that set up, then if you need the money from her, then you can come to her and as opposed to give me that money, that's the money I feel has to go, then come over to your wife and you say, can I borrow that money? That's a little bit different. And as much as, you know, in our theoretical fan- fantastical world, we think, oh, but we're all going to, it's one pot and we're one unit. You know, it's like those couples, you know, we get married originally and we feel like, you know, we're so in love. We're so connected. We're so tight. We feel like we're one unit. We're going to feel like this forever. It's going to be so, so, so wonderful. And then Shana Rishona comes. And then like the first month, it's like the second month. And third month, it's like, oh boy, what's going on over here? What happened? Did the, did the love dissipate? No, the love didn't dis- dissipate. The love is still there, but it needs to be watered. The way we water our love is through being mevater, through giving of ourselves. And when we don't want it, and in this case, I strongly feel, don't agree with me? No problem, tell me, I don't agree with Greenfield. But I'm telling you based on experience that if your wife is working, let her keep some of it. Some of it for herself where she feels, you know what? If I want to do my nails, if I want to, uh, I don't know, buy my new shaitl, save my shaitl, whatever it is, she has that feeling. It'll give her that good feeling. Otherwise, you're going to have a resentful woman at home. Okay. Obviously, if you can afford those, a lot of you are listening today and you're saying, oh, Rabbi Greenfield, that's great, Baruch Hashem, I, I don't have to work, my, my husband is, uh, is working and I, I, we have Parnassah, that's okay. Well, you have a whole different set of challenges. Why do I say that? Because what's happening with you is, is that Baruch Hashem, you're right, there's Parnassah in the house, but many times you're going to want to spend money which you think is, what do you mean, of course, I'm spending on the children, they're going to camp, I'm spending, this is normal. Kids who go to camp, look at the camp list. This is what kids need in camp. Or this is what my children need. Because I know most of the money you're spending is not on yourself. It's not any of the money. I know some of you are listening, you're like, I don't spend anything on myself. It's all the children. Okay, fine. Those of you who have children. So 
You're right. Most of the money you're spending for your fine, all the money. But you know what? Sometimes what you your understanding of what the children's needs is not your husband's understanding of what the children's needs. And don't tell me, okay, Rabbi Greenfield, but my husband doesn't get it. It's too bad on him. He will get it if you speak to him. Simple as that. Because what's going to happen is he's going to open up those credit card bills and he's going to look at them and he's going to have a heart attack. And I, I see it all the time in session. These husbands are like, why don't you take a look at my credit card bills? This is outrageous. Why is my wife spending so much money? So am I going to sit with them and tell them, well, the kids need to choose. You can send them to this camp. This is what they need, etc. No, this should have been done before the whole spending. The wife has to come to the husband and say to them, it's camp time. We have to spend a little more money. I know usually our budget like this. Is it okay if I spend A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Now, sometimes you're going to come to an impasse with your husband. And your husband is going to say, I'm sorry, I, I don't think they need that. Now, if it's something that's critical, you'll come and you'll show him, look, you're saying the kids don't need shoes. Look at the sneakers. What do you think? Believe me, your husband's going to agree after that. He'll see the sneakers. He'll be fine as long as you're giving him the control. It's not an ego thing. It's just a man thing where he wants to feel like he's not being abused when it comes to finances. That's the term that I hear from many husbands. I just want to feel abused when it comes to finances. Term I just heard from someone. But in any case, the point of the matter is, is that what? Is that in these types of cases, you'll work it out. You'll work it out with your husband. If you come to such a strong impasse where your husband says, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I don't think this, I don't think the kid needs, I don't think he needs an air conditioner in camp. I never heard you think he's, he's a kid who needs an air conditioner. I buy him a separate unit air conditioner. I'm sorry, this is ridiculous. You know what? We have to be mavater. We have to be mavater. We have to let it go. If it's something that you could be mavater, ladies, try to be mavater just for shalom bias. Think about it. Is your children really going to suffer without that, whatever it is? Some, sometimes it's necessary. Some you say to your husband, I'm sorry, it's necessary. It will work out. By the way, I want to tell you, it's going to work out. I, I, I can almost tell you for sure. Akadosh Baruch will work it out for you. It'll work out as long as you try to be mavater 100%. And your husband tries to be mavater 100%, I can almost guarantee you that whatever impasse you come to in life, by the way, with your husband, with your wives, it'll work out. Because the whole challenge is a spiritual setup. I'll say it again. The whole challenge is a spiritual setup from a Kaddish Baruch Hu to fix your midos. That's all it is. If you were to take a look at who's really pulling the strings, and we know, we don't pull the strings here in Olam Hazeh. It's all Kaddish Baruch Hu. Hashem completely sets us up. Everything. We know Ashkacha Pratis, right? This is not Ashkacha Pratis class. But we know good and well, it's all Ashkacha Pratis. The whole impasse, the whole gridlock that you're having with your husband, all of them, by the way, they're all a setup. They're all a setup to work on your midos. So you'll never really get stuck if you're both really working on being mevater completely, you're going to work it out. There'll be a compromise. I, I want to I jump to other things. Two other things. First of all, I speak about hats a lot. I speak about hats. Hungry, angry, tired, stressed. And if you know that you have your hats on, or if your, hus if your husband has his hats on, or if your wife has her hats on, please create a boundary Make space. Do not, do not engage. What I mean by that is do not even think of criticizing, be demeaning, belittling, questioning. Don't do that. Because if your husband or wife has their hats on, you're going to get into a machlokas that's not going to end. Trust me. And even if you're going to be 100% right, it's not going to end. Now, one of the, one of the letters, and I'm not going to get into it because we had a whole class on this. One of the letters was A. A 
this is, you know, again, this is not an official thing. Baruch Hashem had to come up with this. But I can tell you one thing about the A, which is very important. I don't know if I stress it enough last show. A stands for angry. And angry really is a symptom that shows that you have your hats on. And when I say angry, I don't mean I'm angry at you. I mean like, I am so burning mad at you right now. I feel like I'm going to kill you. That's what people talk. So when you feel like that, when you feel like that, you know you got your hats on. You got your hats on. So if you've been calling your wife and she's not picking up the phone and not picking up the phone and not picking up the phone and you're like, why isn't she picking up the phone? I need to speak to her now. You're calling your husband. Why isn't he picking up the phone? I need to speak to him. I don't believe this is crazy. And then he finally picks up and you're, you're like, you're so upset. You have your hats on. Don't say a word about it. Just don't say a word about it. Just let it go. Be mavata. Trust me, you're going to get into a fight. You're going to create havoc in the house. It's going to extend all day. Your children are going to feel it. It's not worth the machlokas. But I want to tell you one thing about the A. Whenever, whenever, I could say 95%, if there's a serious impasse in your house, gridlock in your house, meaning your husband got you upset, your wife got you upset, it just happened, it just happened right now. I'll give you an example. Example, you called your husband, you called your husband, you called your husband, he's not picking up and he's really frustrating you. Or men, you come home and you told your wife not to touch the thermostat. Or you told your wife, it's a really hot day. Do me a favor. Just, just I bought some drinks. Can you please put it in the, in the fridge or in the freezer? And she didn't. And you're so hot. You're looking forward to that. And you're like so upset. Like I tell you a million times, like, well, I'm, how much do I ask for you? I'm just asking you to do me a favor when I come home. I just want to call a drink. Whatever the impasse is, I'm telling you, you have your hats on. Let it go in the beginning. I said, give yourself an hour. Give yourself an hour. I can tell you, for anybody who, who calls me, feedbacks me, tells me about problems, the first question I always have, did you have your hats on when you got into this fight? Did you have your hats on? And if you had your hats on, I'm sorry to say you got yourself into trouble. You should not have done it. Of course, we want to work ourselves, we want to dig ourselves out of the grave, as if to say. But if you had your hats on, I'm sorry, you should not have engaged. You should not have criticized. You should not have attacked. Let it go. If you see your wife has her hats on, just let her do her thing. If you see your husband has his hats on, let him do his thing. If he's hungry, feed him. If, he's, if, he, if, if he didn't sleep, let him sleep. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. Let, just give him what he needs. He might just be upset right now. Let it go. Don't fall into that trap. So A, besides being a symptom, it's also just any impasse of the pirates I, you know, I always talk about. I'm not going to get into the pirates right now, but we'll do it in another show. We've done it in many shows. But just know, if you have a struggle in your home that's getting out of control, chances are one of you had his or her hats on in the beginning. And if you would have let it go in the beginning, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you could have worked it out in 99, okay, it's too much, 95% of the cases, okay? Now, there's something else that I didn't mention the other week, and I, I have to mention it right now. It's so, 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 so important. I, I walked away from last week's show, and I'm like, did I forget to say that? I'm like, whoa, okay, that's one of the most important thing I forgot to tell you. I'm so sorry. What am I, I was talking about finances, and I didn't mention one of the most important things when it comes to finances. And what's that? Staka. I, I, I walked away. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't mention it. What was it with me? I'm like, you know, maybe I have to make a whole thing about it. You know what? Ladies and gentlemen, I can't even start telling you how pivotal, critical, important it is to have a, a tzedakah set up in your finances. This is whether your wives work, they don't work. The women who are working, there always has to be a tzedakah set up. Now, there's a chiyuv in the Torah that we have to give maser, we have to give a tenth. That's a chiyuv. That's, that's, we have no choice. Now, could you get away with certain things and say, well, you know what? I pay for my son's yeshiva. I pay for my daughter's yeshiva. I, I don't have to do that. I buy books. Listen to me. 
yes, halacha wise, it's not a halacha class. You know, there are many rabbis here who give halacha classes. I'm not giving an halacha class. This is a shalom bias class. Shalom bias is about what? Is about not just you know sticking to the letter of the law. It's about practical advice. I'm giving you practical advice. You give tzedakah, you will see it will act as an insurance for you. That's what's what it is. You know, the Gemara says, Aser te'aser, aser b'shvil she'te'aser. Now, let me, let me finish. Before you guys, you know, jump on me on this one and say, well, I've been giving maser, I'm not really getting rich. Okay, listen to me. Let's just go through this second. This is very, very important. I'm so happy that I remember this. And that's like this. Okay, where we start from? Here. In Parshat Re'eh, Devarim, it says like this. It says, Aser te'aser es kol tevuas zarecha. Or those of you who are Sephardim, Aser te'aser et now, what does that mean? Um, and, I'm, and I'm translating you here from the Kabbalah Chumash. Oh, it's like this. It's like this. It says like this. It says, Take Maser, which is the tenth, the tithe, of all the seed crops which come forth in the field each year. That's, that's what it says. Okay, that, that's where it comes. Now, the Gemara, the, Gemara, the Talmud, in Dav Kuf Yud Tes Amad Aleph, that's 119a. This is what it says. It says, which means give a tenth so that you will become wealthy. That's what it says. If you give tzedakah, you will become wealthy. Now, some of you are listening to saying, I've been giving master for who knows how long, I'm not wealthy. Well, first of all, relatively to where you were supposed to be, maybe you are very wealthy, number one. But number two, you can't look at this, okay, I'm going to give master, I'm going to be rich. Here's what you have to look at it. What you have to look at it is that you're going to give Maser and Hashem will just take care of it. Hashem will take care of you. You're not going to be stuck. I can't tell you how many couples I've spoken to who are in bad financial situation. And I sit with them and I say to them, do you give Maser? Now, some of them say yes. Some of them say no. Some of them give Maser. They give even more than Maser. They give even 10, 15%, 20%. And some of them say no, I, I, I don't. I try to give what I can. I say people, just give, just give, give. You can't give 10% for whatever reason it is. Then don't give 10%. I don't know why you can't, but you know what? If you really can't, give 5%. You don't understand. It's an investment. That's all it is. You're not spending that money. You're investing that money on all fronts. First of all, let's talk about your physical fronts. We know good and well it says, which means that tzedakah charity saves you even from death. Can you imagine how powerful it is? It can even save a person, God forbid, from death. I heard a crazy story that just happened, I think, a few years ago. This is why, you know, I got to share this story with you. A lady, I think this happened in Eretz Israel. A lady comes over to someone's house, knocks on, her, on his door. She, she wants a chicken for Shabbat. She didn't have money. She, she was hungry, very, very hungry for her family. She ends up knocking on a door of a kolel house. They don't, you can imagine, they don't necessarily have so much money themselves. He, she knocks on the door. And the Kolal Yungerman opens up the door and he says, can I help you? She says to him, listen, I, I, I'm sorry to bother you. I feel embarrassed before Shabbat, but do you have a piece of chicken? you have some chicken for me? I, I don't have enough chicken for Shabbat. The, guy, the man looks at her and he says to her, I really want to help you. I want to help you. I, I don't know. I want to help you. But I'll tell you the truth. I don't have, I just, I just actually went to buy chicken. I don't really have so much money this week. I bought just enough chicken for my family. I, 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 I don't know. I... I don't know what to do. He's like looking. I was like, I don't know. What do you think I should do? She's like, I'm sorry. I don't have any chicken. I have nothing. You have something. Can you at least give me? He looks at her and he thinks, okay, what does Hashem want me to do? He's okay. Hashem wants me to give. 
So, okay, he goes. He goes to his kitchen. He says, one second. And he walks over. He actually had a, this big, um, it's a story happening in, in Israel, but it happened. He had these really, really big frigidaires, the really big ones, you know, the ones that open up and like they're very, very big. He got it for his class. I don't know. He got it. He opens up the freezer, right, to take out the chicken. He opens up the freezer and his mouth drops completely wide. He can't believe what he sees. His two-year-old somehow got himself into the freezer and was stuck in the freezer. Thank God he opened that freezer because that kid was turning blue and purple. He quickly took him out and he literally saved his life. He saved his own son's life by simply giving it to the This is a true story that happened several years ago. I mean, think about it. Staka charity literally can save a person from death. And we're going to talk about in a second why it's so important. But it can literally save a person from death. I tell you how important stuck. I tell my couples what I see. It just, you know, give a little, give a little stucca. Give a little stucca. So first of all, for your physical being. For your physical being. That's number one. Number two, for your financial being. I don't think any rabbi could sit and say, you know what? You give a tenth, you're going to become rich. But the Gemara says it because the Gemara is telling you, number one, you don't know how much money you were supposed to have in the first place. So you can't. Related to anything else. That's number one. Number two, it is an insurance policy. It's a financial insurance policy for you to know that you're never going to get stuck with your tongue sticking out with nothing, 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 nothing. Am I guaranteeing you to this? Listen, Rabbi Greenfield's not guaranteeing this. I'm not guaranteeing this. The Gemara says, Aser Beshvil Shetit Asher. That's what the Gemara says. It says, Give, and all you become wealthy. That's what the Gemara says. And I can tell you one thing. I have not yet met a family yet. I have not yet. Maybe you have. And maybe it's a Gezerah. It's possible. But I personally have not met, met a lot of couples. I've never met a couple, a family that gives Maser legit. I'm talking about really Maser 10% off their check every month that ever got stuck with no place to live with no food in the house, literally starving, doing terribly. There's always some sort of etzah. Sometimes it means that they're going to have to borrow money. I'm not saying that, but there's somebody to go to. They don't have to go around collecting money or whatever it is. They don't have to do that because they've always got an insurance policy. Now, is it possible that it happens? There's a gezerah once in a while that it happens? I haven't seen it. I'll be honest with you. I've never seen it. The trend, we look for patterns. The pattern that I've seen realistically is that people who give, at the end of the day, there's always some sort of financial Yeshua. And generally, it doesn't even have to come to that. And besides, the zechutim that we have, tefillah, tshuvah, tzedakah, tzedakah, is so, 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 so important. The Gemara, the Gemara actually, in Parashat Virei, listen to this, it's not a halacha class, but I think it's important for me to tell you this because everything is interconnected. Shalom Bais is interconnected with what you're doing with your money. In, in Virei, it says like this, it says, it says like this, it says, V'natan lecha rachamim v'richamcha v'hirbecha kasher nishba lavotecha. What does that mean? Okay, what, what did I just say? I said, Hashem will have mercy, it says, Hashem will have mercy on you and reverse any display of anger which might have existed in his mercy, he will have you flourish just as he promised your fathers the Gemara. In, again, Gemara Shabbat. Kufnun Aleph, Amud Bet, this is what it says. Kol ha-merachem al habriot, merachamim alav min hashamayim. Anybody, anyone who has rachmanut, who has mercy on other people, they will have mercy on 
him. It's very simple. And now let me explain you the nitty-gritty of what's going on here with Saka. Like, why is Saka so important? Very simple. The reason Saka is so important is because the way Hashem, the way God, controls the world is something called Midah Keneged Midah. A, a, a character trait per character trait. If we are going to be Midat Hadin, Midat Hadin means which means, sorry, why do I have to give someone who's poor money? I don't get it. He should go work for his money. I don't have to give money. Why do I have to give money? Why should I? You know how how, how you know how much struggling I am? I am struggling so much in my finances. You're going to say, I'm sorry. I have to give somebody money. I'm sorry. Let him go work. It's just, it's not my it's not my problem. It's not my problem. Midat Hadin. It's not my problem. If that's the way that we're going to go forth in the world, and that's that we call midat achazriyut, achazriyut, midat adin, which is, I'm sorry, this is the way it is, right? One plus one equals two. Why do I have to give anybody money? I work for hard for my money. Why do I have to give him? He doesn't. He should go out and get a job. He can't get a job. It's his problem. Well, maybe he really can't. Well, even if he doesn't, doesn't make it, let's not make chizmon. Let's not make calculations for other people. Being mevater, foregoing is really. When it's not fair. See, that's the beauty. People say, I'll be mevater. I'll be mevater for you. Half the times we say to our wives or to our husbands, I'll be mevater for you. It's not true mevater. So, okay, fine. Okay. You, uh, I'll give you an example. Okay, you need some more money? Fine, I'll give you some more money. Being mevater. How much being mevater are you really? I mean, you happen to have that money. You're saying it anyway just to make your wife feel good. Maybe not. But then you have a guy who really doesn't have money. He's like every penny is counting. He doesn't have. And she wants more money for the kids' shoes or whatever it is. And he doesn't have. He doesn't have. But he seems like she's like suffering. He's like, you know what? I'm going to have bitachon and Hashem. I don't have money for this, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. That's really being mevater. Different levels, you know? Different levels. When we get out of our own box, out of our own system, and we become selfless as opposed to selfish, that's where we're plugging into HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world. Midat harachamim. The attribute of mercy. Kel, rachum, v'chanun, erech, apayim, v'raf chesed v'yemet. Hashem's midah, Hashem's character trait, kaviyochel, as if to say, is midat harachamim, having mercy. And when we act with mercy towards other people, Hashem acts with mercy towards us. So maybe in the beginning of the year, we were not supposed to, there was a decree, we were not supposed to get so much money this year because we don't deserve so much money this year. But when we're going to give charity and we give tzedakah, Hashem arranges it for us that we maybe we don't need so much money or maybe we'll be helped out in some sort of way. It'll work itself out. It'll all work itself out. Why? Because that's the midah that we are employing towards other people. That's why tzedakah, charity, is so important. And please have that as a setup in all your finances. Those women who are listening to me right now are thinking, um, I don't know if my husband is really into this. I don't know if he does this. How do I do it? Don't tell him. Don't come to him and tell him. You can motivate him. You could try to empower him. You could talk to him about it. When he does, you could tell him, making me so happy. When you give it to that guy, it makes me so happy. Maybe somebody else should talk to him, but definitely don't come to him and say to him, you know what? I heard a class. We better, we better give it to that If you have a relationship with your husband, say to him, you know what? I was thinking, I heard this really great class in Staka and charity. I was wondering, you know, if we could give a little charity, what do you think? Let him be the decider. Don't tell him what to do. Let him make the decision. He'll listen to you. 
great. And definitely try to motivate your husbands to give tzedakah. It's very, 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 very important. But I want to take this one step further, this whole tzedakah. Tzedakah is not on the street always. Tzedakah starts in your home. What do I mean? Well, first of all, the halachas of tzedakah is that you really, when you start, when you allocate funds to poor people, you really, and this is again, it's not halacha here, but you can learn hilchot tzedakah. You generally start with your people around you, your family. So your brother doesn't have money, your sister doesn't have money, your parents might not have money, feel comfortable taking it, your neighbor doesn't have money, and that's how you go, as opposed to just you know going to whatever tzedakah fund there is. Of course, you want to give people in shul also, but as far as your allocation, again. Don't quote me here. You can look it up yourself. Speak to a posik about halacha. Again, this is not halacha share. But what's more important is tzedakah is not always in a form of money. It's not always in a form of money. Tzedakah could be in the form of giving something else. And when I talk about shalom bayis, I think the most important part of tzedakah in a shalom bayis is being mevater when your husband or when your wife gets you really super upset. And I'm just being tzedakah. I'm saying, you know, I'm just letting it go. And I know the Gemara says, call him mevater al midatav, me'avir kol Anybody who foregoes on his bad character trait, they will forego on, onto him from heaven, Hashem will forgo for me. So yes, I'm very upset that my wife didn't pick up the phone. And I've been calling him a million times and I really need to speak to her right now. Why isn't she picking up the phone? This is not nice. You might feel, or ladies might feel the same way their husbands. When he, when he finally picks up, don't say to him, I'm trying to reach you already for, for, for 10 minutes. Why don't you pick up? Don't do that. Don't do that. Because you know what's going to happen? You're creating a pattern, not just down here, but up in the next world also. They're looking at you from, da- from up there, looking at you down. Okay, this is that type of person this is. Okay, that's the way you want to work with your husband? That's the way you want to work with your wife? No problem. We'll dish you the same. Chas v'shalom, chas That's why. That's why what's so important, just to let it go. Let it go. Be mevater. Definitely in the beginning. And I always say this, you know, because I'm not one of those like always be mevater type of rabbis. Always get let go. But definitely, definitely 1,000 million, quadrillion percent, definitely in the beginning. When you get that upsetness, first of all, he wasn't answering the phone. Or you come home and, 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 and you just set up the table for dinner and you see that your husband came for lunch and he used all the utensils that you set up for dinner, he used for lunch with his friends. Ah, chutzpah, I believe this guy. And when he comes home, oh boy, you want to give it. Oh boy, you want to call him and say to him, do you think this is nice? I set it up for dinner, you set it up for that. Oh, I set it up for Shabbat and you messed up my whole Shabbat table? Because you put your books there and your memo pads and your office, all of a sudden the Shabbat table becomes your office. Is that nice? Or I told you a million times to clean to clean after breakfast. Just, I'm, I'm not your slave. Just take your bowl and put it in the sink. What is so hard? I, I don't understand this. Ladies, 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 please, I beg of you. Be mavater. Be mavater. Let it go. At least for the beginning. At least for the first hour. You're too heated up. You're too pumped up. You're, it's a sure fight. And you know who's going to suffer the most if you have children? Your children are going to suffer most. I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. Most of the problems, I shouldn't say most, but many of the problems with children is because they see this friction between their parents and it gives them this, 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 this uncomfortable feeling of like, I can't believe my, my, my father who loves me, my mother who loves me, and they're fighting and, I, and it just bothers me. I can't take it. Let it go. Let it go. Just be mavater. Be mavater. That's what marriage is all about. 
marriage is all about it's 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 one piece. It's one piece. It's letting it go, letting it go, with the exception. I always say it's the exception. Two things, but I shouldn't have right. Two things. Either number one, it was it was an atom bomb. Atom bomb means like, oh boy, well, what you just said. I can't believe you just said that. Well, I can't believe you talk like that. Number one, and sort of connected to this is that it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. And you know, you're not going to be able to deal with it. You just, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't deal with this. I can't. I need you to use utensils when there's Shabbos guests. I can't use you, your fingers. It's just I feel comfortable. Or you're constantly contradicting me. Or, 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 or it's just important for me. This is an important thing for me. I come back from work. It's important for me to know that A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But then you negotiate. But don't even go for negotiation. The formula for a successful marriage, I always say, is PFN, prevention, foregoing, negotiating. Negotiating is the last piece. The first piece is prevention. For the men, attention, appreciation, affection to your wives. For the women, validating your husband's feelings, being there, greeting him, making him feel achieved, fulfilling him with his primary need, telling him how much you appreciate all that he does for you, how much it made you happy. Of course, you're the receiver and he's the giver. But when you do receive, to make sure you're focused on everything that you receive and to give it back and to be the mirror and to say to your husband, that made me so happy. I can't tell you how I'm happy. Of course, that's the first piece. And the second piece is foregoing, being mevater, being mevater. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to jump into this. Okay, I want to jump into something. Listen, this is very important. And I do, oh boy, getting texts here. I don't know how much time will be able to. Okay, okay, listen. There was an article in a very prestigious, and I, I want to say a very, I really like this magazine. And I'm not going to mention the name of the magazine because this might come off as negative, which really it's not. It's really, really not. And you're going to see in a second what I mean. There was an article in a very popular magazine several weeks ago about therapists, what to look for in a therapist, what to find in a therapist, to understand what therapy is all about. And I want to tell you, overall, it was a very well-written article. It was a very, very well-written article about education in a therapist, supervision, clinical, etc., I want to say like this. Oh, and then and then it's sort of like compared therapists versus life coaching, and clearly the 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 you know the therapists were not happy with life. At least the ones that they interviewed there were really. It, at least it came off to me as if the therapist was really not happy with life coaches and just trying to understand like what does a life coach actually do. Number one, and number two. And number two, and the life coaches were trying to sort of like defend themselves as far as what it is. So, so, so two things I want to mention. First of all, Baruch Hashem, I work with many, I work, you know, I counsel couples. Baruch Hashem, many, I counsel many, many couples. I've, I've done it unprofessionally, done it professionally, whatever, for many years. And I can tell you one thing, I work with many, many therapists because many times I have couples who come to me and I see that one of them needs individual therapy. It's not a couple's counseling situation. The individual has a really, let's say, horrible, had a horrible child, was abused as a kid, was, whether verbally, emotionally, send out for individual therapy. But I want to tell you, first of all, just for the record, there is a room for life coaches out there. There definitely is a room for life coaches. Untrained, meaning they have not gotten their degree, but this is definitely room for life coaches because a life coach is basically someone who helps someone get to a certain place that they want to get to. And they maybe want to have to hold their hand, whether it's in finances, whether it's in health, maybe it's in relationships. There's a certain place that I want to go and to help me as a person get there in a structured type of way. 
we had these people for years, thousands of years. We've had people we used to go to. Sometimes a rav, sometimes your rabbi will be like, sort of act like a life coach to you. That's okay. There's definitely room for that. There's definitely, definitely, definitely room for that. But I want to segue a second into, into therapy itself. This is very important because people don't understand this. A lot of people don't understand this. You have to understand, a therapist is not a physician. He's not, he or she is not a doctor. You're not going to walk into therapy and the person is going to tell you, okay, here's your problem and we're going to take care of it. It'll take exact, here's a treat. Now, obviously there's a treatment plan, but I'm not going to tell you that the treatment plan works as follows. One month you can do this, two months you can do that, and then you're going to be fixed. It's like you go to the doctor, you have strep throat, I'm going to give you antibiotics and you'll be fine in a couple of days. It's not the way it works. The mind is way, way, way too complex for that. It's way, way too complex for that. So most of what therapists are doing are called assessments. These are not blood tests. Obviously, there are exceptions. Someone's mentally ill. In certain cases, you might be able to tell that. But general, these are not blood tests. These are assessments, evaluations, psychological evaluations and assessments. And of course, you create a treatment plan. That's normal, normal therapy. However, what we have to understand is two things. First of all, there is no one book that tells you exactly what to do, such as a manual that the physicians have where if someone has strep throat, these are the vitamins that you can take. Simple. There is a whole plethora of therapies out there. EFT, CBT, DBT, uh, narrative therapy, Boenian therapy, structural therapy, solution-focused therapy. It goes on and on and on and on. So, oh, so how do you know what to do? Well, I think you got to do DBT. Certain therapists are comfortable with certain models. Certain therapists are chassidim of certain models, of certain people who push certain models. They might have gone to training for a cognitive model, a systemic model, different, a, 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 a structural, a solution-focused model. There are different models, different ways to do it. That's it. So there's no one way of doing it. Now, therapy, now, here's, and here's where I'm getting at. Individual therapy versus relational therapy. Individual therapy is pivotal for many people, first of all, in their own relationships, and second of all, for themselves, because people are just not happy with themselves. So they find themselves over hypersensitive, extremely angry, hurtful, possibly a little bit depressed. And by the way, I'm not talking about mental illness. Mental illness is a whole different parsha. Mental illness, I'm talking about People are going for therapy for their own quote-unquote issues. Now, of course, many people say, oh, you're mentally ill. Many spouses tell me, my husband is mentally ill, my husband is mentally ill, but I'm not, and I'm not taking that path right now. Mental, mental illness is a whole different world. That has to work with psychiatry and medication. Okay, I'm talking about standard therapy. So individual therapist is going to take whatever model or he or she was trained and is supervised and has done their clinic clinicals at and has been post-trained, and they're going to employ whatever model, might be an integrated model, and that's going to be what they're going to do. They're going to work with the individual processing, maybe using Freudian factors, whatever it is. They're going to work with the, they're going to work with the individual. Then there's a whole other world, and I have to say because this was not pronounced in the article. There's a whole other world of marriage therapy, marriage counseling, marriage coaching, helping, guiding, infusing different techniques, skills, and tools in someone's marriage. It's a whole different world. And let me tell you why it's a whole different world. Because you cannot stick that into the boat of individual therapy. 
Why? And I'm telling you this from experience. And this is a, has to do exactly with what we just talked about. Because the benchmark has to be the Torah. And I'll say it again. Because the benchmark must be the Torah. So, no, like we feel, what do you mean? There's EFT. There's narrative therapy. There's, there's structural, Bowenian, systemic. That's all very nice. It's not going to work a thousand percent or even close to it if you're not going to have the benchmark of the Torah. Sometimes it might work. I personally, I am not plugged in to the world which tells me I have to go with what the psychologist and the therapist and what I learned in school. I'll tell you what I learned in school. I'm going to say this openly. I'm going to say this openly here in front of everybody. You couple comes into your, into your room and they you have to monitor which direction they're going with the marriage and whichever direction they're going, you guide them and help them. That's the direction you go. That's not a Torah principle. How do I know that? Let me tell you very simply. We just had it in last week's parasha. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem is willing to erase his own name for Shalom Bayis. His own name. Now, I know that there are divorces. And I know that sometimes it's much better to get divorced than to remain married. But that's not because divorce is better than marriage. That's because you have no choice. I can't continue with my spouse. So I can't. Of course, the, I just can't. I've tried everything. I really went and I had consistent therapy, consistent counseling. I had all this consistent help and it just didn't work. My spouse is not plugging into it. it he's not plugging into it. I, I'll, by the way, I'll be honest with you. I have couples I work with and I'll tell them sometimes this is, doesn't usually happen. Does, it usually doesn't happen. Why? Because at the end of the day, generally people want to remain married. But sometimes, sometimes you have a case, you're working with a couple for a very long time and the, the guy or the woman is just not, as they say, stelling to. He's just not interested. So, okay, I'm not going to tell them to divorce. I'm sorry, I can't help you. But the world of therapy will tell you wherever they want to go. They want to remain married. They don't want to remain married. I'm a therapist. I'm not a, a Torah observant Jew. I've spoken to therapists. They told me, I'm sorry, I'm a therapist. And they're right. They're a therapist. That's why I personally consider myself as a pastoral counselor. Pastoral sounds like a pastoral. I integrate therapy and Torah, but the benchmark is all the Chachma Bagayim. Of course, Chachma Bagayim. Chachma Bagayim. But what? But what? We have to say the benchmark is Hakadosh Baruch Hu. When it comes to marriage, if you're not gonna infuse Torah values, you're wasting your time. Now, some of you might be listening to saying this, Rabbi Grifa. I don't like. I don't know about this. Well, guess what? What do you think the percentage rate is out there of the world of people who get married? What's the divorce rate? 50%? 50 How come in our community it's not like that? Oh, I wonder why. Why? Because we're scared to get divorced? P.S. People are not scared to get divorced anymore. I'm letting you know. People are not scared. They're not scared. They used to be. People are not scared. It's, there's one simple answer to it. It's called the Torah. It's called the Torah. We have to start with Torah values. What am I talking about? I'm talking about why you get married. We get married... Not in order to get and to receive and to see what we can get out of it. It's in order to connect with our spouse. And the only way to connect is to be mevater. I don't want to do this for you right now. You're annoying me. You're upsetting me. I don't want to give you this money. I can't even tell you, but I'm going to do it anyways. You know why I'm going to do it? Because that's what Hashem wants me to do it. Hashem wants me to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use a Kaddish Baruch Hu's Midas That's what I'm going to use.
Now, of course, there's childhood issues and this and that. And of course, you have to, there's a therapeutical component to it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there's no therapeutical component to it. But it's, it's, it's not about someone who has a degree, has the license. It's about the benchmark, which is Hashem. I am not going to tell you that I didn't learn a lot in school. Oh, boy, I did. And definitely the therapeutic models that I integrate into my sessions are pivotal. But the benchmark has to be the Torah. That has to be the benchmark. And that's what we have to remember. And those of you who are going to therapists, the, I'm, not going to, I'm not talking about individual therapy now. I'm talking about marital therapy, marital counseling, marital coaching, whether it's a rub, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a pastoral counselor, whoever it is. Remember one thing. Is the person Torah-based? If he's not Torah-based, I would say don't touch him with a 10-foot pole. I know some of you are hearing this and seeing themselves, uh, I don't know. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I spoke to therapists who want to kill and destroy marriages simply because either they say, ah, it's not worth it, or a couple. that's where the, that's where the couple is heading. I'm not going to stop them. I'm not saying you should stop them, but guide them. Try to work with them. You know the ramifications that are involved. I have so much more to talk about this, but we ran out of time. Thank you so much for listening. This is Rabbi Yitz Greenfield, MS Marriage and Family Therapy. I have to go now. Those of you who have messages, I will try to answer off air. Thank you for listening, and have an amazing, an amazing, an amazing week, and all the best. You're listening to J Root Radio. If your child has been given a diagnosis of ADHD, they may be suffering from undetected sleep apnea. This is Dr. Simcha Cohen, and I'd like to tell you that before you begin the long and difficult journey of ADHD and medication, you owe it to your child to rule out sleep disorders which have the same identifying symptoms. Dr. Owens, who is a renowned sleep specialist, says every child who is having behavioral issues should be screened for sleep disorders as a first order of treatment. Call Child Sleep today, 718-336-8000. It's the first and the right step for your child before you go into a lifetime of ADHD and medication. This is Dr. Simcha Cohen. I know kids. This is a number you want to call. This show is sponsored by Dweck Dental. Dr. Dweck, Dr. Dweck. Tired of the hose and mask tying you up while you try to sleep? If you use a CPAP mask hose machine to sleep every night and would like to get rid of it, Dr. Dweck and his team may have the solution for you. We offer custom-made appliances proven to stop snoring and treat sleep apnea as an alternative to CPAP mask hoses. If you're one of the thousands of individuals struggling every day to stay alert because of snoring or sleep apnea, call 1-800-83-SNORING. That's 1-800-83-SNORING.